0: Man, I just want to give a quick report. Um, as a church board and leadership team, we wanted to do something special for some families over Thanksgiving uh, holiday. And so I don't think we can do it again this year. But last Christmas, we partnered with CAC. They rent our facility right here. It's a, it's a before, during day, uh, before and after school and during the day um, for, for middle, low income families to be able to have child care. And uh, this year, I don't think we're going to be able to do a huge, big Christmas thing for them. But we asked for some names of people who would be really blessed by a pumpkin pie and a little, a little gift card um, to Food Max. And so uh, Lorraine was in charge of log- logistics. Raphael and Raquel right here in the middle. We're, we're sort of in charge of putting uh, fam- like the team to deliver the goods. And Natalie and, and uh, Conrad. It's Conrad, Conrad's here, were the, the deployment team who went and delivered Here was the result. Ten families were visited. Nine people prayed the prayer of faith for salvation. That's pretty good. I mean, that's pretty good. If all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, what does heaven do when nine sinners repent? Thank you. Let's go. Come on. And uh, just some really great connections. I I just went on one delivery with Rafael right next in his apartment complex there, and uh, we were going to the door to deliver the goods to the one on our list, and some dude is on the outside of his patio, and was very warm and just infectious. You could tell, full of life, and he's like. You guys can come to my house anytime, and you know uh, so we just believe there 's a new work that 's happening right there in Amen at the apartment complex, and just people hungry. How many believe people around us are hungry for hope? come on, hungry for for solutions, for answers, hungry for just the, the that there 's more to the craziness and chaos of the hour, how many believe there 's definitely more? And so let's just pray right now. There's, so I got 11 families here on my list. But let's just, let's just say, Lord, you who began a good work in these visits, in these beautiful families, would you continue your work? Come on, just pray for them right now, that the Holy Spirit would breathe on the seed of the gospel, that those doors that have been opened, maybe even cracked open, they would blast open in the name of Jesus. And then let's just welcome the wisdom of God to follow up well. So we thank you for follow-up. We thank you for follow-through. We thank you for just new people, not just praying a prayer, but learning to live the life of a disciple who follows and obeys and abides in Jesus. We pray this in his matchless name. Amen and amen. Can we just say thank you to the team who led that outreach? We bless you guys. Thank you. Well, open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're in the season of Advent. The season of Advent's like my favorite season, um, kind of. Because how many in this room like to wait? Raise your hand if you have the grace to wait well. Mm, Raise your hand if waiting is a little difficult for you. So Advent is for us. Come on, raise your hand and say, Advent's for us. It's for me. It's that season of the church calendar where we look back. Everybody say, look back. We remember, we reflect on the first coming of Jesus as a humble, lowly babe. We'll celebrate that in a few weeks. But we also look ahead. Everyone say, look ahead. Because he who came is coming again. Say that with me. He who came is coming again. So we find ourselves in this hour living between the two advents. Anyone ever seen Stretch Armstrong? Or Elastigirl in Incredibles? Come on, somebody has got kids or grandkids. Who got that reference? Anyone in the house? Okay. And so many times we, we live in the tension of the, I said last week, of the messy middle. Because we know the king came, And he inaugurated his kingdom, every healing, every deliverance, the kingdom of God is in your midst, how God's realm, God's reality, God's dominion and God's domain are breaking into the earth. All of the ministry of Jesus is an expression of his kingdom, where who God is, what God wants, what God wills and what God desires is being manifest in real time through Jesus. And now Jesus says, I confer on you that same kingdom in Luke chapter 22. To the disciples, you say, you're going to continue my kingdom ministry and mission. But what we find, because the king is yet to come, second advent, there's this middle contested messy space where kingdoms are at odds. Come on, how many feel the, the weight and the, of the hour of kingdoms being opposed and at odds to the king and his kingdom? And so we live in this tension we feel stretched. But how many know right there in the stretching is we get stronger? When how many know you don't build muscle without resistance? Anybody who work out in this place, help me out. I, I don't know. I just I figured that's true. And so right here in this middle, right here in this middle, there is an all-out war for your heart. How many of feel that for your affection, for your allegiance, for your appetites, for your longings? There's a, there's a war, not a war like who's going to win the battle at the end of the age. The devil knows his days are limited. Just read Revelation. He knows he's got an eternal abyss of fire awaiting him. He knows that his time is short. He's not omnipotent or omniscient. He doesn't know all things, but he knows that. He knows Colossians 2:15, when the, the, the crucified Christ ascended or descended into Hades and he stripped all of the principalities and powers of their right over the cosmos. When, when that happened, he knew his defeat was sure. And so the all-out battle in this hour, between the advents between the king who came and the king who's coming, is for your heart. It's for your allegiance, it's for your affection, it's for your appetites, it's for you. Come on, someone say, I am prime real estate. There's a king who wants me for himself, but there's also a ruler and principality, the prince of the air, John 12 calls him. In Ephesians 2, the, the, the spirit that's at work and the disobedient in 1 John 5, the one who keeps the world bound apart from Jesus and locked in a prison of sin. He wants to destroy your life. The king who came and is coming wants to give you life through his grace and mercy. So, you're in a battle, saints, but the victory in the battle is through surrender. It's not to fight for your will and your purpose, it's to say, okay, King who came, come, fill my life so that you can use me to wreak ongoing havoc on the kingdom of darkness in this hour. Okay, that's good stuff right there. So what do we do in the in-between? Turn to your neighbor if you're sitting in in a living room. Turn to your neighbor. What do we do between the advents? What are we supposed to do between he who came and he who's coming? Come on, what do we do? Do we freak out like everyone else does? Do we live weighed down, worrisome, anxious lives? Do we live dull and compromised, kind of in, kind of out, like I'm inter- I, I want to go to heaven someday, but I'm not all that interested in serving Jesus with my breath and my life? Or is this an hour to have our spiritual bell rung so that we wake up so that when the king comes, he doesn't know what to do with all of the harvest that's brought in through the obedience and faithfulness of his people? Come on, someone say amen to that. Second Peter 3, I got to hurry, mercy sakes. The apostle Peter, he's called a rock for more than one reason. Come on, somebody. When he sank, he sank fast. Come on, who's, who, do I got any Rockies out there? When you sink, you sink fast. But how many know God doesn't just perpetually call us by our failure, he sees our future and he calls us in light of who he knows he made us to be. How many are thankful for a God that has the long vision and view in mind? And see, even though Peter had a personality that when he was wrong, he was really wrong, he also knew that when Peter was solid, nothing could shake him. And so the apostle Peter wrote two letters. And in his first letter, he talks about the end of the age, the second coming, the second advent. And he says this: "In light of the end, the imminent end, in First Peter chapter four, we'll get to Second Peter three in a second. In First Peter four, he says this, "The end of all things is near." Now, you don't have to be a mathematician or a scientist or a genius to know if the end of all things was near 2,000 years ago, do you think it's nearer now than it was then? Peter writing, the end of the age has broken in. The king has come and he split history before Christ after death. Right? I mean, he split history open. We tell time in light of the end breaking of Jesus and his kingdom. He says that in light of the end, the end of all things is near. And what does he say? Be alert. Someone say, alert. And self-controlled so that you can pray. So if we talk about the end of the age and we talk about this second advent, and advent just means coming or arrival. So the second arrival of the king who will come and finish what he started. Come on, someone say Amen. The posture that Peter has already told us in his first letter, the greatest posture to live in, in light of the, the nearness of the end, is the posture of prayer. And the only way you can live out of a posture of prayer, which is just to be present to the presence. Come on, someone would say amen, that's a good definition. To be present to who he is, what he's thinking, what he's sensing, it's the, pres- it's the posture of communion and abiding and friendship with the Lord. And you can't live in that posture of prayer if you're not awake and you're not self-controlled. Come on, how many have fallen asleep on the job of prayer? My brother's here, my mom, everyone say hi, Mimi, Deb, and my my brother's here, my my brother-in-law and my nephew and my cousin are here. So everyone welcome my family from Kansas City. Love you guys. My brother and I used to get up at 6 a.m. in high school to pray for an hour. And we would pray. He would always fall asleep. But he turned out okay. He loves the Lord. He's on fire. He's a mighty man of Jesus. But how many have ever fallen asleep? How many have ever not been self-controlled or alert? And so there was no way you had bandwidth on your radar to give yourself to partnership with the Lord in prayer. So in light of the end, in light of the end, the nearness of the end, the nearness of the second advent, I just heard on my way to to worship this morning, there have been a hundred natural disasters this year alone. If you count hurricanes, earthquakes, just go Google it. Hurricanes, earthquakes, how many know the earth is groaning for the return of her king to consummate his kingdom? Even creation, Romans chapter eight, is groaning For the church, for the sons and daughters of glory to arise and to reach their full redemptive potential so that the end can come. Creation is groaning. In fact, when you read through the prophets, you will find it all over the Psalms and all over Isaiah and all over all the prophets. You'll find that creation has a song that they're waiting to sing. The trees clap their hands, the fort you just read, read it. It's this poetic language to say when the king comes again, all of it gets remade. All of it gets restored, come on. All of it, the new, all of it's shiny, all of it's no more thorns that infest the ground. Come on, no more ache when you bend over at the waist. Come on, someone say amen to that. New creation, it's groaning. So, Peter says, in light of the end, be alert and self controlled so that you can pray. How many know a praying people and a praying church will not be taken off guard by the increased shaking that's coming? If we're not praying, the great revivalist Leonard Ravenhill said, if you're not praying, you're playing and you're going to get played. That's good preaching right there. I'm sorry. If you're not praying, you ain't gonna be ready. If your eyes aren't up and out off of your own selfishness, your own sin, and out and up on him and what the king's thinking, feeling, saying, doing, if you're not living out of that posture of readiness, you are going to be shaken and sifted in the hours that come. How many know to pray is to prepare for the second advent? It's to be ready. Ready? Okay, 2 Peter 3. Man, we gotta make some space. We gotta get going on this thing right here. Do not be ignorant of this one fact, verse eight, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some think of slowness, but he's patient with you. Come on, someone say that. He's patient with me. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's patient with you. Turn to your whole table and say, he's patient with us. Not wanting any to perish, but all, say all. All. One more time. All All to come to repentance. Come on, how many today... The subtitle today is the day will come, the day of the Lord's coming, the second advent's coming. But, the subtitle, we live in the patience of God in this current hour. How many are thankful that the God we serve is a holy, loving God, and that the first descriptor of love is that love is patient. Patient. Come on, how many are thankful for the patient love of God? Man, that should be every voice. The love that, yes, we are a rock that can sink, a Peter, but when we're in line with the Spirit, we're also an unshakable foundation that can't be moved by whatever storm comes our way. Listen, saints, we live in the patience of God. Why is he patient? You know, one of the questions is the day of the Lord will come. We live in the patience of God. So what's the patience for? Hold on, let me see it. Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. How many know we live in the patience of God because there's a missionary evangelistic task for the church to share the gospel with all creation. He's patient, we don't have to guess, why has Christ not come yet? He wants more in his family. Come on, in Luke chapter 14, when Jesus gave the parable of that end time eschatological banquet feast, remember the story, he invites three people, they are all too busy. I got a field, I just got married. Like It goes from least excuses to the most legit excuse. <laughs> I bought a field, I've got a yoke of oxen, so I've got possessions, I've got a profession, and I've got people. And the, the, the master of the banquet is so angry because when he gives an invite, he's doing it because he knows that what he's offering is better than we could ever come up with or end up or land upon in the arm of flesh and our own striving and effort. How many would say amen to that? That what he offers is better and so look what he says in Luke 14. When those three reject the offer, he's like, I don't care. Go out to the alleyways, highways, hedges, and byways. I want my house full. Come on, someone say that. Our God wants his house full. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in John chapter 14. And he, it's got many rooms. How many know Jesus is fine with having to build on some extra rooms on his daddy's house? Come on, how many know he's not just one who can build from the ground up? He's really good at adding on to the house. That's good. He's, a, he's an expert remodeler. And I want you to know, saints, the reason he's patient is not just because it's an expression of his nature. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Exodus 34, remember when he gave Moses his name and his nature. Forgiving sin and his blessing reaches a thousand generations of those who obey him. And, but his patience has a purpose attached to it. Come on, Raphael. His patience, say it with me. His patience has a purpose attached to it. One more time. His patience has a purpose attached to it. What do you think that purpose is? He wants all to repent and to come into the kingdom. It's right here. He doesn't, listen, he doesn't delight, Ezekiel 18, 1 Timothy chapter two. He doesn't delight in the, in the wicked perishing. That doesn't, he doesn't like it. He wants his house full. And he's patient with us. It says this, but the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come like a thief. Peter's quoting Jesus Matthew 24, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare or disclosed for what it really was. Jesus uses this language of thief about his second, I'm sorry, Peter does under the inspiration of the spirit, of thief, when you think of a thief, what do you think of? Suddenly, unexpected, what else? If a thief comes, what do you think of? Unprepared, what else? Fear, sneaky, perfect. Jesus is saying for those who are not awake, he, Peter already told us in his first letter, if you're not alert and self-controlled then giving yourself to prayer, which is just to the relationship, to, to, to relate to him and then to release what he's saying. To relate and to release. Say it with me. To relate and then release. To press in and then to pour out. Say that with me. To press in and then to pour out. To press in and then to pour out. This is what we do in the Waiting. Jesus is saying for those who are not ready, it'll feel sudden, unexpected, and it will have disastrous outcome. How many are feeling pretty sober right now? You know what this means? It means, yes, we discern the times Yes, we, 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 we do our best in Matthew 24. We read the signs of the times. We listen to the Spirit. But we give more energy and effort to living in a posture of readiness and giving ourselves to the purpose of his patience. We don't just sit in fear and huddled and coddled in our holy club. No, we turn our hearts outward and upward and say, Jesus, others have to know how good you are, that they too can be liberated from the tyranny of their sin, from the weight of their shame and their guilt and condemnation. Come on, how many think what he did in you he can do in somebody else? Do I have any happy saints in the room who knew what they were before Christ and it's the game changer of what he's done in your life? He does that so that he can do what he did in you, he can do through you to those around you. Everything will be revealed with fire. How's that? Is that pretty sobering? The language there of being laid bare or disclosed. When the king comes, the Bible says Jesus has fire in his eyes. He burns with holy love, but he burns with holy justice and judgment. And when he comes again, everything is going to be laid bare. All of those things we do in secret that we think no one sees, it doesn't impact my spouse, it doesn't impact my colleagues at work, it doesn't impact my children, it doesn't impact my friends. The Lord is saying, you don't have to live in a place of dullness and compromise. You can live fully alive, fully alert, walking in step with me so that when the fire comes, it doesn't uncover something you don't want seen. It reveals the reality of what grace has been working in and through your life come on he's coming with fire whether you want it or not do you want to be able to stand and when the fire hits your life or your family or your finances or your life and you say man the fire all it did was refine and show the grace of God at work in my life the fire you don't have to be afraid of it you can lean into the zealous jealous love of God why don't we just let him consume us now so that when he comes we just get brighter and shine with more radiance and brilliance that's really good. My abs are hurting. I'm sorry. I'm doing, a, I'm doing a godly, I know, I did say that, I lied. I, I'm not lying. So everyone say it, the fire is coming. Why not jump into the fire now? Come on, say that with me. The fire is coming. It's gonna reveal I'd rather willfully submit to the fire. Listen, when John baptized Jesus, what was his prophetic word? John the Baptist. I baptize you with water. It's not a bad baptism for the forgiveness of sins, repentance, I'm preparing Israel for her Messiah. But he's like, I can't even carry the sandals of the one who's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. How many know the best way to be prepared for the fire that's coming is to be baptized in His holy, loving fire now? Oh, come on, Robert, say amen to that right there. Amen. And so, what he's saying, what Peter's saying, is everything in all creation is going to be laid bare before its Creator. Come on, how many know in, in this day when you don't know what stream to listen to? I don't. What are do you troubled? The CDC, this Fox, the newspaper social, certainly not social media come on that's a, that's a hack you should know that don't listen to social media but we can have confidence saints that when the Lord comes with fire everything will be exposed and laid bare before the one to whom it must give account that includes my life and your life oh mercy sake he's. So how many say it? There's there's a purpose for the patience. Point one is to share the goodness of his love, the, the power of salvation. Come on, what he did, say it with me. What he did in me, he can do in others. Okay, let's keep going. We're almost done. We're almost done. Since, verse 11, since everything will be destroyed or disclosed in this way, what kind of people should you be? Come on, this is second. This is between the Advents. This is such relevant passage for our hour. This is the Advent time, to be ready for the second one. I love Peter. How should we live? How many of ever asked that? I mean, what should I do today? Okay, let me be more relevant. What should we eat for lunch? Come on. How should we do? What should we do? Here's what he says. You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God, and speed, it's coming. That day, bring about the destruction of the heavens by the fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. How should we live in light of the end, in light of the second advent that's coming? In holiness and godliness. Now, what do you think of when you typically think of holiness? Someone help me out. This is very, very important because most of us, when I said, how should we live in light of the end? You should be holy and godly. Some of you kind of wince. like, oh, that's lame. Holiness, no fun. Come on, someone say, I I didn't say it, but that's what I was thinking. We think holiness, like, that means they can't do those things. And how many know that it is a desperately anemic vision of holiness of all you think it has to do with is what you do not do? That was such a good one-liner. You won't understand if you don't get that. Holiness, a, a sliver of what holiness is about is what we say no to, but holiness in its very core and essence is who we say yes to. And if you think of holiness and if you think it's the size or the length of the dress or the, whether you go to movies or not or you go to eat here or there and all of these things that we've substituted for the legitimate, honest work of the Holy Spirit in the surrendered vessel to God, if you don't think Jesus when you think holiness, then you're not thinking well. Jesus is the whole, well we kind of agree he's like the pure and spotless lamb, he's perfectly holy and he was irresistible to sinners. Come on, how many know Jesus showed us what holiness looks like in a man? Jesus was like a magnet to people who were far from God. So if our vision of holiness drives us further away from the pain and from the cries of the world, we've not yet discovered really what holiness is all about. If Jesus is the most pure, full of love, full of righteousness, he's fully given over to the Father's will and purpose. He never sinned. But what was it about Jesus that was so infectious, that was so wooing and drawing to those around him? He was holy. How many today want to see God turn the script that when people think church, they don't think all oh, those people, they think, oh my gosh, they're the kindest, most winsome, full of compassion and mercy. Man, those are holy people. They're not like all of us who are sort of, you know, we're one way at work and then we're one way at home. Come on, somebody say amen. Holiness means, Soren Kierkegaard, to will one thing. That's purity of heart. So when he's saying to be holy and godly, he said, give yourself to the one thing. Yes, there's a bunch of little no's. How many no? We grow through the no's, N-O. We grow through the no. No to sin, no to the flesh. Come on, someone say no is involved. Turn to your neighbor and say no is involved in holiness. But come on, there is a, there's a more glorious and compelling dynamic to holiness, and it's called the once and ongoing perpetual yes to him. So holiness has to do with purity. It has to do with free from compromise, free from dabbling in things that, 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 that dethrone and defame God's name and his nature. But how many know holiness isn't just negative? To give yourself to holiness is to give, to give yourself to God's purposes How many know there is surrender, there is cleansing, but there's also consecration. Lord, here am I. Send me to the world to proclaim your love. This is what God wants to do for his church. And look at that. I'm gonna land the plane right here. As you look forward to live holy lives, how many know that we're only made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life? How many in this room have ever tried to do holy and failed miserably after day one? Every hand should be raised. Listen, through one sacrifice, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, God can make you holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a work of His grace, it's a work of His love. And The Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 15, verse eight and nine, wants to come and he wants to purify our hearts so that what's true of us on the inside works its way out through our life, our attitude, our character, and our conduct. How many know God always starts with the inside and what he does in us, he then works its way through our lives? How many would say today, I'm a work in progress, but I'm a work nonetheless? And then I wanna end right here. This is very interesting. Read verse 12 again. We give ourselves to holiness. We give ourselves to living like Christ, to being disciples who abide in and obey Jesus. As you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. What in the world does Peter mean by that? One translation say, or you hasten the day. Who says hasten? Nobody, praise God. Okay, how many already know that Matthew 24 and Mark 13 is true? No one knows the day or the hour that Christ is coming. But how many know, according to Peter and Jesus, how we live and our obedience to the task to share the gospel to the ends of the earth actually has implications for the timetable of the Father? No, 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 more of you need to get that. The Lord is, Peter is saying under the inspiration of the Spirit, when you give yourselves to holiness and godliness, you say no to sin and yes to God. You say no to my plans and purpose and yes to his plan and purpose. You lean into the patience and the purpose of his patience, which is to live and to share and show the gospel with others. When you lean into that, you'll actually bring that day closer to today. Why? There is a timetable for the time when the father looks at the son, who right now is at his right hand on his throne, interceding for us. There is a time when, when the dad, by partnering with the Lord. And then last verse, verse 13. We are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world that will be filled with God's Righteousness. How many are so thankful that however dark the days get, however much the shaking reverberates through your bones, that the one who came will come again and he will bring the new heavens and the new earth to bear through his sheer power in love. I love that language. It'll be a world where righteousness is right at home. How many know every time we say yes to his desire for the end now, a little bit of his future and our future breaks into the present? Because some of you may, may have a defeatist mentality. Oh, he's coming and the fire's coming and I mean, I'll, I'll, the holy thing, I'll kind of dabble in holiness, but the purpose of his patience, share the gospel, no way. That's just for talkers, not for me. And it doesn't really matter how I live, because he's gonna come anyway. How many know that is a smack in the face of what Jesus Christ died and rose and then poured out the Spirit to give you? It's a smack in his face. All of the ministry of Jesus and life of Jesus was to bring God's future to bear all over the Galilean hillsides, all over the mountain. How many know he hands us the same ministry? He wants us to be those through whom righteousness is right at home. Where who God is, come on, someone say it, who God is, what God loves and what God does is manifest. That's righteousness. It's his character. It's his conduct. It's out of the, being made right with him, we become, like we said last week, instruments that he can use to put that which is broken, bent out of shape, or bound by sin back to its God-ordained design and destiny. We look forward to a permanent home of righteousness. Now, I've said this many times in closing, but so many believers have had a really crummy eschatology We thought that God's purpose was for us to pray a prayer with no one looking in the room, that we would get a get out of hell free card, we would just put it in our back pocket and wallet, and we would just go live like everybody else lived, but we would claim that our eternal security was good. How many think that that vision of the end and God's purposes on the earth has woefully dealt a blow to the church and her effectiveness? That should have been every clap, but maybe you didn't get the phrase. It's okay. How many know that God's purpose is not to get us out of here someday? It's to get that day more and more breaking into today through humble surrender and an all-out yes to the king and his kingdom. So we're not defeatist. We're not grumpy. We're not... uh, We're not uh, cynical, oh, it just keeps getting worse and worse. It may get worse and worse, but how many know our assignment doesn't change? There's a purpose to his patience, and he wants all to hear and have at least the opportunity to respond to his love and his offer of salvation. For the grace of God, Titus 2.11, has appeared to all flesh, offering salvation to all who will respond to Jesus Christ. Come on, say it one more time. There's a purpose to his patience. And the only way I'll be ready for that purpose when the Spirit speaks is what Peter already told us in his first letter. To be alert, self-controlled, to be in that posture of relationship prayer so that when the Lord begins to move, we're ready to say yes. We're ready to respond in love. We're ready to respond in obedience. I want you to know that what you do now, what you give yourself to by God's grace and spirit, when he comes and that fire hits all of creation, what you build now in the name of Jesus that brings glory, it doesn't get wiped away, it just gets refined and it goes with us into the age to come. Listen, bad theology. Why would God, when Christ comes, wipe away everything done in his name and in his power and spirit? The fire refines and discloses and lays bare what is done and, who, and how it was done. Saints, when we think about the end, we don't think about playing harps on clouds. We think of God coming with fire, with light, refining all that we've been given ourselves to to build towards that day. And we get to live in light of what we began to build and partner with him now forever. Oh, that's good. I guess what I'm trying to say is how we live matters. Just say that to your neighbor. How we live matters. What we give ourselves to matters. What we're building matters. How we live matters. What we do in between the advent matters. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Verse 15. Come on, stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. How many today would just say, thank you, God, that you're patient? How many are thankful that maybe you've been on a journey and you've been a recipient of the patience of God, can you just lift your hand and say amen? He was patient with me. I was stubborn, I was hard-hearted, I was resistant. I thought I knew better. Am I talking to anybody right now? But eventually, I surrendered to his will and his purpose and his patience. And when I surrendered, I wasn't met with a grumpy, grimaced, folded, armed God. I was met with a father that ran to me in my brokenness and sin. How many are thankful for a father that loves us? For a father that's not afraid to discipline, a father who's not afraid. Listen, he disciplines us so that we can share in his holiness. He's not afraid to stay his hand by allowing us to walk through some valleys if it means we get to dwell with him on the mountain for all time. Oh, that was a good one. That's sober. How many are thankful that he who's coming with fire wants to come with fire even now? How many would say that you would take a little bit of the baptism of fire right now in your heart? Maybe there's some sin. Maybe there's some compromise. Maybe there's hidden addictions. And you would say, man, the fire that's coming, Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire now by faith. How many would just say, that's me, I I want a fresh baptism. I want him to rid my heart of all sin, of all compromise. I want to be found pure and blameless. I want the blood of Jesus to cleanse, and I want the Holy Spirit to come and to fill and to fashion me to become that instrument of righteousness, that beacon of hope in an age of darkness and hostility. How many today would say, that's me? I want the fire, I want the Lord to come to visit my temple, my house, my heart, with fire. If that's you, just lift your hands nice and big. Just say, Lord, come with your fire. Come cleanse. Come wash. Come refine. Let your justice and your judgment come forth on my heart. Lord, every room, any shade or any shadow, would you light it up with your fire right now? Would you light it up with your pure love? Holy Spirit, would you come? Just give you 30 seconds just to talk to him. 30 seconds. John says, I'm not even worthy to take off his shoe. I can't even carry his sandals. He's so holy. He's so full of glory, the one who's coming. And when he comes, he wants to baptize us in his very nature, in his very character, in his holiness, in his love. Just tell him, Lord, I surrender. Come. Come, you put your hands down. How many would say, Chatty, there's people in my life, I know their faces, I could write their names down, that the reason, that one of the reasons God is patient is for them. Come on, how many have a name they could write down right now? For someone, you know that God's patience is being manifest because they need to know that there's a God that loves them, that there's a king who was crucified for them. Come on, raise your hand nice and high. If you know somebody, look at the whole room, we know somebody that needs to respond in the midst of the patience of God in this hour. So come on, let's just lift. Listen, the Bible says in First Timothy 2, lift up holy hands in prayer. That's what it says right there in the Bible. And then just speak their name right now. And as you speak their name, after you say their name, then the next prayer is this. Holy Spirit, how do you want me to partner with you to show and to share your love with them? Come on, how many know? The the best way to pray is to assume you are part of the answer. Woo! That's a good word right there. Let me say it again. The best way to pray is to assume the Holy Spirit might say, hey, I want to use you for that. So come on, let's say their name right now. Say their name. And then come on, someone say, say, Holy Spirit, fill me to be a messenger of hope for them. Come on, right now. Lord, I want you to fill me and empower me with boldness to share your love, to share the beauty and wonder of your gracious forgiveness and your amazing love with them. And let's just all say this together. Here am I, send me. One more time, here am I, send me. In Jesus' name, we all shouted, amen. And amen. Bless you guys. He who came is coming, and his patience has a purpose. We all said amen. I love you guys. If you need prayer, come on up. If not, we'll see you real soon.